Well, morning, church. So we're going to be in Job, if you want to turn there. Renew a steadfast spirit within me is kind of the title of our little series we're going through. And today it is Renew a Steadfast Patience within me. We're going to focus on uh, patience as we look at Job. Before we do, though, I thought we'd just kind of recap kind of where we've been in this series of renewing a steadfast spirit. Uh, because, you know, God has given us this spirit, his, his spirit, to live in us. And the more we allow the spirit to take control of our lives, uh, the the more upright we become, the, the more we glorify God, the, just the better we are about life and about ourselves and everything good. Uh, that's why the Spirit is here, is to, is to create uh, a better us uh, as we yield to that Spirit. And so what we've done is we've kind of went, we've taken the Beatitudes and we've gone to the Old Testament and we found people there that just really do a great job of, you know, um, being an example or having that, that quality in them. And so we started with Daniel, remember? And we talked about goodness. Um, and I just couldn't think of anybody better that, that exemplified goodness in his life than Daniel. In fact, one of the scriptures there that we looked at, if you remember, is that uh, it said that they looked for some flaw in Daniel, and they could not find anything. Uh, and so they still come up with a plan, but their plan was, is, well, we're just going to we're gonna have to make a law that says you can't you know, pray to your God uh, or to his God, and then that will be the flaw, you know, because we know that he will, he will not give up his relationship with God. Uh, but they could not find any flaw in Daniel, and, and Daniel was just a good, good man. Uh, one of the things that we should have come back out of that realizing is, is that God, he honors goodness, right? When, when, when God sees goodness in us, he honors that in the sense that he will bless people who exemplify this in their life. When they choose to do good instead of evil, even when there's pressure. And is there not pressure in our lives to do the opposite of good? I mean, you go to work, and there's always going to be people that are trying to get you to do something other than being good. Uh, and so they have this pressure. When you go home, be my guess, even on the trip here, maybe it was hard for you to be good. Um, I don't know. But uh, there's just this pressure that comes our way that's constantly challenging us in our goodness. But I just want to remind you that just like Daniel, you have a God if you will just not give in to the pressure of not being good, but you continue to have this goodness in you, God will honor it. He will, he will bless you in the midst of it, just like he did Daniel. And so think about Daniel and about goodness. And just think about that God is wanting to, to uh, bring this character uh, uh, out of you through his spirit in you. Um, we also talked about uh, Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. And what did they teach us? They taught us about kindness, remember? And, and, and they just, and one of the things we talked about is that um, uh, uh, you reap what you sow. And, and just think about that when it comes to kindness. If, if you want there to be kindness to come your way, you know, people to be kind to you, then you be kind. And, and just remember that God's word says that for a reason, that we reap what we sow, and specifically when it comes to kindness. And we saw that. Naomi was kind uh, to her daughter-in-laws, and R- Ruth, actually both her daughter-in-laws were kind back to her, but Ruth really was kind in return to Naomi, and she reaped such a blessing because of her own kindness and it looks like, you know, wow, Ruth is getting kind of the short end of the stick until Boaz comes into the picture. And then all of a sudden you realize, man, she's reaping kindness, right? Um, and Boaz didn't get the short end of the stick in that at all either. So he got him a wife and a child, and he was reaping kindness back for his kindness. And ultimately the whole thing was about 
God doing what? Showing kindness. See, God honors goodness. And he also, when we are people who exemplify kindness uh, towards others, God is going to show kindness back to us. So we, it's like a, it's like a, uh, uh, a cannot fail situation, right? If you are kind to people, you're going to reap kindness, and that's a blessing in and of itself. But on top of that, God is going to show his kindness to you. Uh, and so it's just like, man, that is, why not be kind? I mean, can you not go wrong in, in being that way? So, so we looked at that. Um, last week, now some of you got kind of ripped off on this deal because we went camping and talked about Joseph, uh, right? And so you just kind of like missed uh, the whole episode of Joseph, but we talked about peace last week. Um, and we really kind of went through his whole life. We started Friday night and Saturday morning, Saturday night, and in Sunday morning talking about how, how Joseph this exemplifies peace in his life. And I just love the story of Joseph, and I really can't think of anybody better that exemplifies this sense of peace. Uh, we talked about just how dysfunctional his family was, right? But the whole point was is that you can find peace even in the midst of dysfunction. That's how amazing God is. Um, but we talked about that, you know, godliness, his godliness um, uh, brought about peace in his life. Uh, uh, Saturday night, we talked about you can even find peace in the midst of the valleys uh, because, boy, did he have a roller coaster life, right? In and out of just craziness. He was on top of the mountain, and then he was down in the valley. Top of the mountain, down the valley, ends up on top of the mountain, um, and he knew that God was going to put him on the top of the mountain from the get-go. Why? Because of a prayer. I mean, a, a, a dream that he had from his childhood and uh, knew that God was going to do that. And he had confidence in that. And, and so even in the midst of this roller coaster ride of his life, Scripture doesn't ever uh, indicate in a, a bit that his emotions were like this that his peace was in and out. And rather, it just seems like, man, this is the most even-kill guy I've, I think ever. No matter what comes his way, it just seems like he just takes it, you know, with, with just peace in his life. And I think it was because he always believed from the moment that he had that dream that God was just going to be in the midst of everything. And that's where peace comes from, is it not? Is just knowing that God is sovereign and he has this. Like, like, I don't care what the world is trying to do to me. Um, God's still going to elevate me out of this. He's still going to bring me out of this. And people that are convinced that God will deliver them are people who can have peace in the midst of the valleys, right? And so that's what we got to talk about last week. And so this week we are going to look at Job, and we're going to talk about patience. We're going to get there in a minute, but it really comes from the, the book of James, when, when, when James is reminding us of Job, and he says, let me remind you of the patience of Job. And so that's kind of where all this comes from. And boy, definitely this is the man to talk to us about patience, is Job. I actually want to start uh, this conversation in, in Matthew chapter 7, um, and just look at two houses for a moment here. Uh, one of these houses that in, is in, talked about in, in Matthew chapter 7 is built on a rock. Okay, that sounds like a pretty good foundation to build a house, right? And one of them is built on sand. What, what, is, what is it about sand that would not make it good to build upon? Have you ever just like been in the ocean and you know that moving water do you ever just feel like your, your feet are on solid ground? No. It's just like the water coming back and forth. Your, your feet just kind of start sinking a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. You know, they just keep going in because it's just kind of washing the sand out around. And next thing you know, your feet are covered in just a moment uh, of time. And I think that that's kind of the whole point of this is that our house needs to be on a firm foundation, meaning our life. That's what that Jesus is getting at, right, is that our life is on a firm foundation. Um, and especially when it comes to storms. 
Because that's what the, the, this parable is about, is that when storms come in your life, what do you want your life to be built upon? Um, and the whole point is, is that you need to build on Jesus, right? Let's just look at this real quick. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house up on the rock. Remember that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Not just everyone who hears these words will be like a man who built them. No, everyone who hears these words and does them. You have to take it to the next level. Um, and it says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them do, uh, will be like a, and oops, how about we read that one again? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So the point is, is that hearing from God is important, but it does you no good if that's all that you do is know what God says, but you don't do it. You have to know what God says and then apply it to your life. And when you apply it to your life, then your life is on a firm foundation. It is solid so that when storms come your way, you don't just, you know, fall over. We cannot build our house on jello, right? Would that not be a, that'd be a terrible thing to try to do. And yet, I think so many people are trying to do that because they're leaving God out of the picture. You know, it's not that we don't know, I mean, you ever... You ever want to finish your, your mom's uh, sayings? Now, some of you have to really remember back here, right? But they, she's trying to remind you of something that she has told you over and over and over, and you're like, I know, Mom. I know, right? But what she's really trying to do is not just remind you of what she's said to you over and over and over. She's trying to get you to apply what she has said to you over and over and over and it's so important that we apply the Word of God if we're going to be on a firm foundation. And we will see in a minute, Job, this is what Job was just amazing at, is, is he, he didn't have a clue. His life was an emotional wreck. I mean, he had some of the, the, the worst things ever happened to him and happened to him in a very short period of time. And it would have just crushed like 99.9% of us. Uh, and somehow Job withstood this storm of life. Somehow he, he was able to have the patience to not uh, run away or throw in the towel, but he withstood it. Even when he didn't have a clue why it was happening. And I think that's really important for us to understand. He didn't know. He didn't, through most of this story, he was trying to figure this out, and he could not figure out, why is this happening to me? And even though he could not figure it out, he still withstood it. I just think that's super impressive. I think that's why it's so important for us to go to to Job when we are talking about patience. Because he was an emotional wreck. He argued with God. A big portion of the, the book of Job is him arguing with God. He was hurt very bad, but he didn't throw in the towel. Somehow he had this steadfastness. So there's a couple terms that I just want us to really, I'm just going to point them out because I want us to really, like, in our minds, to zero in on these, these terms as we talk about this. One of them is confidence. Job had just a confidence in God that is so important for us to try to glean from him and try to apply it to our lives. He also had this steadfast patience. I mean, it wasn't just patience. It was a steadfast patience. It was like the lighthouse. And we're going to bring up the lighthouse here and again in just a little bit. That picture is so important when we walk through all of these, but, but especially when it comes to patience. He had just, it was so rock solid, his ability to have patience. Um, we cannot build our lives 
on a firm foundation without having a steadfast patience in our life. It's so important to let the Holy Spirit develop this in us. He is perfect at doing it. And he will do it by reminding us what God's word says. And then it's up to us to apply that word. And when we apply his word, and no matter what the circumstance is, especially during the storms of life, then we will, we will be able to withstand them. We will be able to come out victorious uh, through them. You know, sometimes, just like Job, even though we're on a, 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 a bedrock foundation, storms come, right? And sometimes, just like Job, when storms come, it can feel like God has forsaken us. Like, I don't understand, God, what I did to deserve this. I don't understand why this is happening to me or happening to my loved ones, you know, or, or whatever. But I don't understand why this is all falling apart around me. And we could, we could just be oblivious to, you know, the, the movings of God in our lives. And we can feel very forsaken, but we can also make it through. We can also be able to resist, you know, Satan and his lies and, and the lies of the people around him you know, to tell us just to curse God and die, right? Do you remember who else struggled with that? It was Jesus, wasn't it? Didn't he feel pretty forsaken by his father? Did he feel a little confused about maybe what was happening at the midst? I just want to remind you of that because in, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, this is one of the Jesus's last words, right? It says in verse 26, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lamna sabatani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I don't know about you, but it just, I wish, I wish Jesus didn't have to say that. I wish he hadn't have said that. I mean, it's just something that's really heart-wrenching to think that Jesus God in the flesh would be confused, would be like wondering why God has turned his back or why God has forsaken him. But in reality, we know this, right? He didn't. He didn't forsake him. God didn't forsake him. He, he didn't forsake Job. And he's not going to forsake you. And he's not going to forsake me. He is going to be a rock-solid foundation for us to stand on. And when it's all said and done, if we will just have this steadfast patience within us, then it will all turn out great. It will all turn out fine. We will probably get most of our answers to our questions, um, but regardless, if we don't get them all, it'll still turn out well. If we will have patience in the midst of storms. Storms always challenge our thinking, right? Satan challenges our thinking in the midst of storms. You sure? You sure about this? You sure God's up to something? I mean, doesn't it make you think of Adam and Eve and Satan right there? He's just like, you sure God's looking out for your best interests? I think he's just trying to keep something from you. I don't think you can trust him. And sure enough, they thought, well, maybe that's right. And they gave into it, and the world has paid ever since, right? And we are walking around in a world that feels like we're walking around in sand at times. But you and me, we, we get to have this firm foundation if we will not believe when, when Satan tries to challenge our thinking like that, we will not believe the liar, but we will believe God, and we will heed to his word. You know, Job illustrates just someone who suffered greatly and yet never turned his back on God. And so the phrase, the patience of Job, is just, I think, you know, fits him well. Think of another person that would fit, fit better. Like, who, who could we talk about when we talk about patience that would even be better than Job? 
I don't think we find him. I think this is like the perfect example, right? Now, I, we're not going to, we read through the first chapter in my Sunday school class, and we kind of just dove into that. If you want the, the nutshell version of Job, just read chapters 1 and 2. It won't take you very long, and I don't mean you have to do it right now. But sometime today, before you lay your head down on the pillow tonight, read chapters 1 and 2. It will just give you the whole view there. But be my guess that most of everybody I'm talking to right now already kind of know the uh, ins and outs of Job. But here it is in, in just a paraphrase version of chapters 1 and 2. God's having this conversation with Satan. And he says, hey, did you notice my servant Job? Uh, he is just amazing. He's upright and righteous. He does what is good all the time. He's always shunning evil. He's always just, he's just an amazing uh, follower who is always glorifying me. And Satan is like, yeah, well, that's just because you have this hedge around him. You, you are protecting him, and so why wouldn't he do that? But bring, bring some adversity in his life, and I bet he will curse you to your face. And so God gives Satan permission to bring adversity to Job's life, but he gives him some guidelines. You can't hurt Job. And so he's like, well, okay, that's no problem. And so Satan just pretty much destroys everything but physically Job uh, at the beginning of this. And so all of his livestock, because he was wealthy, very wealthy, and all of that was gone in just a heartbeat. You know, all these calamities that were coming his way. All of his servants were killed. All of his children were killed. And all in one day, there's just one servant that was left in every one of these crazy um, uh, earthquakes and fires and battles and things that were happening. One person was left to go report to Job. And he was having a report, somebody report, you know, just moments after each other that everything that you have is gone. And what did Job do? By the end of chapter 1, he's just like, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to curse God over this. In fact, it says that in all of this, Job never sinned against God nor blamed God. His wife came to him because she also, that's one of the things we pointed out, somebody pointed out in our Sunday school class, she, she also lost everything. She lost her kids she lost her wealth. She lost her friends and her servants and everything that Job just lost. And this was how she was taking it and her advice to him. In, in chapter 2, verse 10, she says, but uh, she, he, she says to him, I guess it's not 10, it's like uh, 9 or something. She says, curse God and die. Why would you even want to go another day? Well, Job had patience, a steadfast patience about him, and he just couldn't give it up. He couldn't toss in the towel. He couldn't quit. There was something in Job that was strong in the midst of this adversity. And this is what Job says in verse 10. He says, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job was re reduced to sitting amidst just the rubble that was left, right? Once just everything, his, his prosperity, his children, all of these things were just becoming a, a memory, a distant memory every day of his life. And after he lost everything, as, as, as the story continues to build and continues to go. This is what he comes to proclaim in Job chapter 13, verse 15. It says, Though he slay me, I hope in him. Though he slay me, I will continue to have my confidence in him. Remember, that's one of our words. I want to read the rest of that, though, because I know you're looking at it already. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. We're going to talk about that here in a moment more. You can just remember that verse for later. But he was declaring his complete trust in God. He later com 
proclaimed in Job 19, verse 25. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. I mean, he just, he continues to elevate God, right? That's what he's doing there. He continues to just, just say, I know that all this could have been stopped by God. I don't understand why this happened to me. My wife is telling me to curse God and die. My friends are telling me that you've done something terribly wrong to offend God. But I know that's not true. And God, everybody, the only thing that everybody knew is that God allowed this to happen, that he could have prevented it, right? And yet Job, something within him, still just can't not do, cannot not elevate God. He, just, he still has to just elevate him in the midst of his struggle. And so these words come from him. I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. I know he's above all things. I know that he is glorious. I know that he is sovereign over all things. Who am I to curse him? I can't think of anybody greater that, to talk to us about patience today. Despite all of his difficulties, he says in Job chapter 1, verse 21, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, investing in stock market isn't easy just from what little that I have gleaned from this, right? Uh, most of us know it's not easy because if we are in it at all, we let somebody else do it. All we do is give them the money, you take care of it, you manage it, because I know it's not easy. Because if it was easy, we would all just do it ourselves, right? If we are in it anyway. And so we all kind of know it's not easy. And it, what we, what's not, what is Easy is it's not that hard to find good companies. Like, we all can recognize good companies. Is Google a good company? Sure it is. Apple? Sure it is. Walmart? Sure it is. I mean, it's not hard to find, like, a good company, recognize a good company. So that's not hard. It's really not all that hard to, to know what to buy, but it's not that hard to know when to buy. When do you buy? When they're, like, way up high, like most of them are right now? And no. Not unless you want to lose a lot of money, but a lot of people that aren't very good at investing, definitely are buying when it's high. And then what happens is it goes down like it did in March, a few marches back, right? And it just like tanks. See, the, the hard thing about it is, is that uh, uh, you don't, not everybody knows what to do when it just like the bottom falls out. Now you do. You know what to do. You just... Hope that the guy that you gave your money to knows what to do, right? And, and, and it's just kind of an interesting thing to me, but um, what do you do? That's the, that's the thing. When the pressure's on, when things are coming crashing down, what do you do? Do you hold? And most everybody would say, yeah, you hold, right? Or do you buy more? Maybe you buy more when it comes crashing down. Or maybe you sell out. And all that is just completely dependent on how, what kind of foundation you have, right? Because if, if you are in Tesla, that would be really confusing because you're not even sure if that's even a really good company. They're not even making money right now, right? And yet the stock is like at 700 when most people are saying that it, when it gets down to 100, I'll buy. And you just, you just get kind of confusing. And the reason I bring that up is because I really think it has a lot to do with patience. Uh, because when life comes crashing down and when you are in charge, again, why do we let somebody else invest for us? Because it's not easy. And it's just something I don't want to worry about. And I wouldn't know if I, do I have the, the temperament to hold when I'm supposed to hold? Do I have the knowledge to sell when I'm supposed to sell? Do I even have the knowledge to know when is which, right? And in, in life, when you're in charge and the bottom comes 
crash, I mean, the top comes crashing down and the bottom starts seeming like it's unsecure, it, it gets pretty scary. People who do their own investing, that's when they panic, right? There's two things that, that move the markets, right? They say fear and greed. Greed drives it up and fear drives it down because people just panic and they just completely sell out. It's easy to look from the outside on most all of that stuff and just know perfectly what to do, right? You can look on the outside and, and know exactly what, especially hindsight, like after it happens, you know exactly what they should have done, right? But in the midst of it, and it's easy to know what somebody should do. Like, like, well, of course Job has patience. Duh. I mean, God's in charge. He should know that. And isn't it easy to look at your neighbor who is going through a storm in life and everything is coming crashing down and just say, well, you just got to trust God. I mean, come on. But when it is your life, is it not easy to get into some kind of panic and just really feel like you just need to run the other way? Patience during suffering is the hardest. Because that's when it seems like the world is just crumbling around you. And it's during that time of fear that causes us to do the illogical. It's, it causes us to do crazy things. That's why Job's wife is saying what? Curse God and die. You think she would have said that a month earlier? When she had all of these servants and all of this livestock and all of these children and they were just having, you know, good old time. She wouldn't have ever said, curse God and die. She'd be like, go bless God, you know, because he has blessed us. And yet things just changed just like that. Why? Because it seemed like her world had come to a crashing halt and it was falling in and she panicked. How did Job not panic? You know, he would have been a he would have been a great investor, would he not, Job? I mean, if he he's like 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 hands of steel. Charlie Munger. The, this is one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up because Charlie Munger, he's like one of the great investors. You know, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, they're kind of like buddies. Um, Charlie Munger's 97 years old. Is that not hard to believe? I mean, he's still, he just bought a new stock in Alibaba this last uh, quarter, last three quarters there, or the last three months. And uh, so he's just still doing this. And he's always said some crazy things about investing. One of the things is he says, the big money is not in the buying or the selling, but in the waiting. Now, I want you to see a parallel here with patience. Here's one of the things he says. He, he says, succumbing to such pressure can prove costly. He says, you, you need to keep raw, irrational emotion under control. You need patience and discipline and an ability to take losses and adversity without going crazy. You need the ability to do, to, you need the ability to not be driven crazy by extremes, ups and downs. I think Job would have been a good investor in the sense that how does how is it that he does not just freak out when everybody else is freaking out? I think Charlie Munger would have been a good follower of God is what I think. If he would have pursued God like he pursues the stock market, man, he would have hit it out of the park. I think he would have been like a, a modern-day Job is what I think. Unfortunately, that's not his pursuit or his love. But I do think that he can even teach us a little bit about patience because patience is not going crazy when life is going down the tubes. Patience is, is not um, letting panic you know, drive your emotions and make you irrational. Patience is standing firm 
Why? Because you're on firm foundation. That's the only thing you have to worry about. You don't worry about what's going on around you, the storms of life, the problems of life, the things that are getting you to panic. All you have to do is look down and see what kind of foundation you're on. If you're on sand, I would say run or start swimming because it's going to get ugly really fast. But if you look down and you're on a firm foundation, I would say just hold. Just wait. Just let God do his work and do what he does best. And don't panic. Don't be like Job's wife. Be like Job. And just hang in there. I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 10, because this is written to a a bunch of people who had all the reasons to panic, because there was great persecution that was in the church at the time. Nothing that we would even understand But there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of storm in their life. And I want you to see what he says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. It says, therefore, of course, you can go back later and read all of what this here is there for, right? But but therefore, do not throw away your confidence. There's that word again, right? Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward Your confidence has a great reward. It's going to achieve something for you. He says, for for you have need of endurance. Now, that word is a very interesting word. If you study it, that's that's what it says in the ESV. I I, I don't know. I, I forgot to look, but I know some of them have patience there. Some of them have steadfast patience. That's what my favorite is. And so there's that word again, right? So there's this confidence right here in this one verse, and there's this steadfast patience, this endurance um, that the ESV uh, has translated. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So have confidence and have steadfast patience. Wait. Those who wait upon the Lord, they renew their strength, don't they? And know what the Bible says? In verse 37, it says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Who do you think the coming one is? Jesus, isn't it? And that's what he's reminding them of. Jesus is going to come back. I know what you're going through is terrible. I know what you're going through is like, is, is like the, the equivalent of what Job went through. And I just want to remind you of your confidence I want you to look down at your feet and see what you're standing on. And that's what he says here, right? Because he says, uh, but my righteous one live, one live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In other words, don't shrink back. Or what did he say in verse 35? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw it away. Don't shrink back. In fact, this is interesting to me. When he says, do not throw away, the Greek word there for throw away, is, it's a military, it's, it's a term of a soldier throwing away his weapon or abandoning, throwing away his weapon and abandoning the battle. That's what that term is most often used for back then. And so that's what he's saying, don't throw away your weapon, don't abandon the battle. Look and see where your feet are on. And, and so that's why he says in verse 39, He says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and and preserve their souls. We are people who are standing on a rock. And so I don't care what comes your way or what has come your way or what will come your way in the future. Always check your feet and see where you're standing. Always remember to that you, because of what you're standing on, you get to hold every time. It's like having the best, being invested in the best company that will never, you know, a lot of times investing, that's one thing that's crazy. There was companies that used to be invested in that they thought, man, this is for the long haul. In other words, I will be invested in this company 100 years from now if I live 100 years. And guess what? Some of those companies are gone. 
It's hard to find a Sears company right now, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? But Jesus is forever. Jesus is where our confidence is in. That is what we are standing on if you're on solid ground. And you can always hold. Always. It's just a, it should just be a, a default. Storms come, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not looking for an, a, a back door. I'm not looking for a new plan. I am not going anywhere in the midst of this. Patience is not selling out. It's not giving up. It's holding through the storms. It's, it's holding with confidence, knowing that when, when the storm is gone, I will be here, God will be here, and I will even be in a better place than I was. And that's Job's approach, wasn't it? I don't know how he did it, but he did it. I mean, he, he, is, he is the man when it comes to patience. And he just hangs in there. I want to take you to James, which is kind of where we even got the idea of the patience of Job. And James, Hebrews says this similar thing that we just read. James says it. We were just talking about it in Sunday school, and I was, I've forgotten about this, but even First Peter talks about this kind of concept as well. But, but here he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord... See how the farmer waits for his precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it comes the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Isn't that a great word? I just love that word, steadfastness. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Can we bring up the lighthouse? See, that's the picture, right? You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. This is, this is like Job right here. It's actually like Daniel, isn't it? It's like Ruth. It's like Joseph. I mean, they all had steadfastness. They all had these different qualities about them. It just was amazing. But Job's patience was crazy. And, and he says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. Fortunately for us, we get to read Job and see the purpose of the Lord and see his compassion and his mercy. Job was completely dumbfounded, like, I don't see it. Where is this compassion? Where is this mercy? Where is this purpose? What is it that we are up to here? And yet he still was like that. He still went through that. The, the Greek word in James for that is used here for steadfastness is holding one's ground it's endurance it's it's like this this lighthouse right it, it's holding in there it's it's hanging in there with god in spite of whether you know anything or not but it is not now this is what's really important we're about done here but it, it's not holding it's not ever having any complaints i don't want you to get the picture that what what patience is, is just enduring with a smile. If you read through Job, and you ought to read through it, you will not see a man. You will see a man who has patience that is beyond comprehension, but you'll not see a man who has patience with a smile. He is, he's having patience with tears. He's having patience with anguish. He's having patience with anger. This man has anger in his heart. He's complaining like crazy. And he's not being 
judged like those who complained in the desert. That's a whole different type of complaining. But he is having patience. I don't want you to think of Job's patience as, as passive at all, because it's not. His patience is, is very active. He is in the midst of this. This is one of the reasons that we're looking at Job with patience instead of Joseph. Joseph is with peace. It just seems like he had peace no matter what. Why? Because he believed in the sovereignty of God. God gave him this dream at the beginning. God, he just knew that God, when he was in prison, I, I don't know, God's going to elevate me somewhere, somehow, and he becomes the greatest in prison. He's maybe just like in prison, just like, well, see, I'm the greatest in prison. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it just seems like he had peace no matter what. Why? Because he knew how the, the story was going to end. From the very beginning, he knew how it was going to end. Job didn't have that. He didn't know how this was going to end. All he knows is that his children are dead. His wealth is gone. His, you know, servants are gone. His wife hates him. She hates life. His, his friends are misjudging him. God's misjudging him. And he didn't understand the purpose of it. And I don't think that he had the peace that Joseph had, do you? But he had patience. He had this ability to just hang in there, to not throw it in, to throw in the towel. Here's some verses I want you to see. Because I want you to really understand the, the difference between patience and peace. Job 7, verse 11, we, it says that, Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And he did. He had his little tantrums. He had his little arguments he had they're not little he hollered at god he was angry at god and, and the one we did read in job 13 verse 15 it says though he slay me i hope in him because he never gave up his hope in god but yet it says what does it say yet i will argue my ways to his face and these are just a few of the many similar lines that you will find in the midst of Job. As the story moves along, Job becomes even more bold, accusing God of piercing him and po with poisoned arrows in Job 6, 4, of cursing him with, uh, with just multi you know, and, and multiplying his wounds uh, without any cause in, in chapter 9, verse 17 of hunting him down like a lion. That's what Job says. You're just hunting me down like a lion. In chapter 10, verse 16, Job uh, said that God was breaking him down on every side in chapter 19, verse 10. I just don't want you to get this false impression that patience is being silent. What patience is, is just not going anywhere. What patience is, is waiting for the storm to pass and for God to come through and to realize that he carried you through, to realize that he did have a plan. You just don't understand it. In fact, all the way through, that's what God kept telling Job. What, you think you got this all figured out, buddy? You don't even know where the dinosaurs come from. You don't even know who made those. You don't know anything. And Job realized at the end of all of this that God is not only sovereign, he's good. He is merciful. He is full of compassion. And Job comes out of this better than what he went in. And, and when he went in, he was blameless and upright and good. And yet he was even more solid when he was out of this. But the point is, is that being patient isn't being silent. Being patient isn't meaning that you bite your tongue and you just carry on with a smile. Sometimes our anguish can be so bad, it's just bad. 
And that's okay. But being patient just means that you are here when it's all over. And that you just realize, and this is what Hebrews and James was getting at, being patient is just waiting. It's just waiting for God to come through. It's just not leaving your seat. It's just being faithful and continuing. And you will see that when Jesus comes back, everything's going to be awesome. And he can even make things good until he does. Let me pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for just teaching us a little bit about patience. Lord, we know that the spirit that lives within us is trying to develop this within us. He's wanting us to have this endurance, this steadfast patience that makes us so strong that no matter what the, the power of the waves are, it just can't knock us over. Father, help us to have patience. When storms come, when trials come, when difficulty comes in our lives, for us just to remain where we are, to just fix our eyes upon Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. homesick how do you get through it how do you uh, uh, get your kids through being homesick you stay busy right you keep on keeping on Uh, you find things to do Uh, you distract your homesickness with uh, whatever you have uh, in front of you. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a kid tell me, like up at camp or uh, in class, that uh, I just want this to be over. Well, why? So I can go get on my phone. (laughs) You know, I don't think they're homesick. I think they're thing sick. And all of us struggle with that. But this song, which uh, if you've heard it before, Sweet Beulah Land, uh, is a homesickness for a place we've never been. Now, we can look forward to heaven, but I think the person of faith, the mature Christian, is going to yearn for heaven. It's going to be an ache in your heart and in your soul and in everything that you do that what I'm doing here is taking me home. The term Beulah, which is feminine, in fact, I grew up, one of our neighbors, uh, her name was Beulah. And growing up, I always thought it was just a German name because they were a very German family. And... uh, But Beulah actually means um, 
in simplest terms, married. Um, or other translations, uh, your Greek and Hebrew, basically, um, you are mine. Okay? Um, and so let me read from Isaiah. In the midst of one of those punishment periods, and Isaiah is telling the people, uh, this is why we are suffering what we are. And then, of course, he says in chapter 62, verse 3 through 5, you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. You know, Job got lost everything all at once. And it wasn't like over the course of a day. It was in the course of a few minutes conversation. Four messengers come and telling your livestock's been stolen or destroyed by fire. Your family um, has uh, uh, been crushed uh, by the home because they were all in the same building. And each of these four messengers um, tells him... Um, and, and the other ones are waiting in line before the first one's done. But each messenger says, I'm the only one who survived. I'm the only one who made it out. And following that news, Job tells us those familiar words, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, Job is a messenger. And his message of patience is not one of comfort. And the fact that we know his struggles, as Mike was sharing with us, should give us confidence that Job has that he's not living for the moment, even though the moment is terrible. He's living to go home. His eyes are on the prize. And so later in Isaiah, and there's so much, and I love uh, Isaiah, and this is, of course, uh, if not my favorite verse, it's definitely in my top three. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. And our Lord came, and he suffered on a cross to ensure that we would have a place in heaven because you and I cannot do it on our own. And so as we go into this time of communion, let us reflect on the faithfulness of our God, the obedience of Jesus, and let us be encouraged with the troubles that we face in this world because imagine that place where there is no such thing as evil. There is no such thing as pain or tears. I'm so homesick for that, I can't hardly stand it. But while I'm here, I'm a messenger that that's, that's what everybody has available to them, even my enemies. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for providing this uh, this road, this narrow gate 
for us to uh, uh, pursue you. God, we thank you for your word that we have um, this knowledge, we have your guidance, and we have uh, a vision of what lays ahead, albeit we don't We can't comprehend what heaven is going to be like, but we know it's better than anything we have here. We thank you so much for Jesus, your sacrifice, and especially your defeat over death and providing us with the same opportunity. We just pray these things in your great and glorious name. Amen.